Hello and welcome to Isn't That Something, the podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Crew, and I'm so glad to have your ears today. Now, each episode of this show, we're going to dive into some topic or subject or whatever that might make you say, isn't that something? For today's topic, we're going to be talking about the low brass instrument that plays in the back row of the orchestra of my heart, the trombone. And I won't be just talking about the trombone alone. I've got a couple of professional trombone players who are really spectacular musicians, and uh, they are, among other things, the hosts of the Third Coast Trombone Retreat, which is for other professional and aspiring professional trombone players. Uh, it's in the summertime. They get to spend several weeks in the woods of Michigan and learning all about the trombone and taking master classes with uh, the highest level professionals in the world. Uh, and they actually host a podcast for their retreat as well, the Trombone Retreat Podcast, which you should definitely check out after uh, this episode. Uh, their names are Sebastian Vera and Nick Schwartz, and well, here is the talk I had with them earlier. All right, so I'm really excited to have two really brilliant musicians and hosts of their own podcast from the Trombone Retreat and Associated Podcast. We've got Nick Schwartz and Sebastian Vera. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. How's it going, dude? We're honored. Thanks for having us yeah, on. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you both. Why don't we get started by uh, learning a little bit, for those who aren't familiar with your uh, just enormous fame, uh, for those who, <laughs> who don't know, uh, which is probably only like a tiny fraction of the audience, who uh, who are you guys? I mean, that's really why we got into trombone was for the fame. Um, the When people ask like why I chose trombone, it's usually like, oh, for, for the money and fame and ladies and you know it's just like it's just constant but uh nick and i are are really good friends we've been really good friends for a long time and uh we're both trombonists i i grew up in texas uh long story long i i play principal trombone in the pittsburgh opera um and uh principal trombone in the river city brass band and i'm a professor of trombone at duquesne university and slippery rock university it's my turn now i guess uh <laughs> Hi, I'm Nick, and I'm a trombonist. Uh, the first step to recovery is admitting that you have a problem. Um, so uh, anyhow, yeah, I actually, I grew up all over the place, born in Chicago, then lived in Ohio, then lived in two places in California, then I lived in Dallas, then I lived in El Paso, and that's where I started playing the trombone is El Paso. Um, played there for one year, and then we moved to Michigan, which is where I did my kind of really formative years of middle school and high school, and got more serious about the trombone when I moved here. And uh, yeah, uh, fast forwarding a little bit, I'm the principal bass trombonist of the New York City Ballet. And I am the brass chair coordinator and faculty at the Manus School of Music. Sebastian's al alum, or is, what is it, alumnus? Is that what it's called? He's an alumni, alumni. that's the word. <laughs> He's an alumni of it. Go fighting, go fighting narwhals. <laughs> yes, and I'm also... Uh, Brass coordinator and bass trombone faculty at Juilliard Pre-College and bass trombone faculty at Bard College. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. And neither of you guys actually mentioned the Third Coast Trombone Retreat yet. <laughs> well, we'll, well, I guess we'll just kind of unfold it uh, how we got into that because it involves uh, 
beer and friendship, as most good things of do. Of course. Sebastian, you want to take it away, or do you want my grand oh. storytelling? I mean, we can we can do a little both. Nick and I, like we said, we've been really good friends for a long time, and and you know, in New York City, it's it's a huge city, obviously, but it's also a small world. When you know, all the musicians tend to know each other, all the trombonists tend to know each other, and we were good friends, and we were hanging out at the Whole Foods bar, in uh, where is that again? Uh, yeah. uh, Columbus Circle. Columbus it's Circle. Gone. It's gone now. No. That's very sad. Pour out it a drink. It is sad. And we're, we're on the... Every time I tell this story, it's we add an, adi- an additional beer. So, yeah, we were on the ninth beer. <laughs> and, and we were just like, you know, these kids graduating school, they just like... They're not prepared when they graduate school. And they just... They don't, they don't learn all the, the things you need to learn about, you know, being a professional and taking that next step. And everyone's freaking out and nervous and like... We should do our own festival. And so, you know, we came up with this idea. We had no idea what we were doing. And it just, more and more, it just kind of formulated. And it ended up, we went to, first of all, we had to figure out where to do it. And and we chose a a small town where Nick's family lives in Michigan. It's right on Lake Michigan. It's white sand beaches. It looks like the ocean. There's deer running around, dense forests. It's beautiful. And... We just created this thing for, you know, we accept like around 20 college students that are looking to pursue a career in music, typically, you know, classical music majors, orchestral music majors. Um, And we kind of just talk about a lot of things for a week that uh, you don't normally get to talk about in school. And maybe Nick can tell you about a few of those things. Um, Well, like Sebastian said, you know, I think one of the things we thought was missing, at least from... um, music education is just kind of the reality of the situation of when you leave school Um, because most schools are kind of geared towards pushing you out into an orchestral environment pretty much if you're studying classical music you know while that's mainly what I do and I did end up that way I would say a majority of people their career is going to look a little more varied, a lot more freelance, mm-hmm. a lot, you know, a mix of things. And it, it's uh, not only of gigs and jobs, uh, but styles of music. So we wanted to kind of just a- address the elephant in the room that like, hey, your career is going to probably look a lot different than you think it's going to look. And that's an okay and good thing. Your your life's going to be interesting. Your career is going to be interesting. So we wanted to touch on that, but we also wanted um, we also felt like a lot of students were just so stressed out, like Sebastian said, and so worried about the future, which uh, we all worry about the future, especially now during Corona times. We wanted to say, like, hey, there's a reason you got into this. You know, not everyone goes into the trombone for the fame and fortune. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a reason you got into it. It's because it's fun to do. And, it, you know, making music is uh, a special experience. And we're trying to bring you back to those roots just for like an eight day period to remind yourself, Hey, let's have some fun. You know, let's, let's, let's make this a a pleasurable experience again, rather than just beating ourselves up over and over again in the practice room. So yeah, we, uh, we created that and we're, we are seven years in now. Is that right? Oh my goodness. I think so. Jeez. Time flies. So yeah, we've done seven, uh, retreats here in Michigan and it's fantastic. And we started a podcast just pre-pandemic, and uh, that actually has been a, a great tool, I think, for not just for us, but again, furthering our idea of that this world doesn't have to be so 
strict and scary and serious uh, when you hear other people's success stories. It usually involves a time when there is doubt. Yeah. So and hearing that, hey, they persevered. I might, too. You know, right. (laughs) Um, That kind of is, I think, reassuring for a lot of people. Uh, Sorry if I went too off track there. but (laughs) No, not at all. That's um, perfect. Uh, it's a great show. Um, what is the name of the show? For for those who want to, you know, dive deeper after this episode, if people are like addicted to trombone talk and they want more, how can mm-hmm. they find your show? As they should be. Uh, it's called The Trombone Retreat. It's available everywhere you find your podcasts. And I'm finding you don't have to know that much about trombone. It's it's mainly an interview podcast and it's just stories. It's just people's lives and we, we talked to a lot of really talented trombonists um, from, you know, all areas, people in major orchestras to jazz musicians to like the last interview we had was the trombonist who just played on Taylor Swift's new album. Um, it's it's just been really fun. It's it's a way for us to talk to old friends and, and meet new people and just hear people's unique stories. Right. Yeah, it's a totally interesting uh, show, even if you're not a professional classical trombonist. Um, and yeah, you guys have a great rapport and it's, it's pretty cool to sort of get a look behind the scenes at what, what life is like for professional trombone players, which is an unusual group of people. Uh, and you guys also play an unusual group. An, of people. You, you, you play uh-huh. an unusual instrument as well. So I wanted to take a few minutes of the show for those who don't know trombone at all. Like what is a trombone? How does it work? Why is it that way? Um, I don't know. What what can you guys tell me about what a trombone is? Well, where do we start? Do you, do you want me to start from like what does a trombone look like, or how? how where do we want to start? Versus yeah, let's describe a trombone. <laughs> yeah. Every like close your eyes and visualize a trombone. Well, okay. So one thing I find amazing about the trombone, just a, a, a starting fact, is the trombone in the orchestral setting is the only instrument that has not truly evolved from its basic form. And that basic form is a long piece of tubing. Imagine a, a long piece of tubing, but you, you bend it and, it and it has a hand slide to, to change the notes. So it goes down and then it comes back up into a flaring bell that points out at the audience. So number one, it's the only instrument that uh, uses a slide, a hand slide to change notes rather than valves like you might see on a trumpet or, you know, obviously string instruments and wind instruments work or uh, woodwind instruments work on different principles, but we change notes with a hand slide, which gives us our luscious uh, legato sounds. But, um, yeah, the trombone was, uh, from all accounts invent invented in the 14, 1500s, somewhere in that mm-hmm. range. I've actually seen the second oldest trombone in the entire world in Vienna. Really? I know. It's in the Musical Instrument Museum in Vienna. Um, it's from like, I want to say it's from like 1502 or something like that. It's like, it's super old. Um, but you look at it and it looks identical to a modern trombone as far as its basic shape and size. The only difference is the size of the bell itself is different Mm -hmm. and it's decorated. It has lots of flourishes, lots of uh, engravings, things like that on that, but that doesn't change the sound. That's just design. Um, But yeah, it's basic principle is you move the hand slide with your right arm and that will change the notes. So uh, I would say that brings us to the most stereotypical thing that we do is that we can 
do glisses, which would be wow, notes like things like that, where it's completely smooth. Mm -hmm. And other valve instruments like the horn or the French horn or the trumpet can't do that because when you press a valve, it makes a kind of popping sound. And so you can't get that completely smooth gliss, which is something obviously completely unique to the trumpet. Yeah, totally. It's a classic sound that everyone has heard, although it probably only makes up a small fraction of what, what you actually play. Uh, but when it comes to brass instruments in general, like the trombone, uh, you develop your sound in an interesting way, like the, the origin of the sound. Like most of the tubing is essentially sort of an amplifier and something that helps control the pitch of the instrument, but the actual origin of the sound is not a vibrating reed or a vibrating string but your lips, right? Can you guys, mm -hmm. Can you? would you, if you don't mind, I would love for you to demonstrate. Oh, boom. So yeah, uh, like, <clears throat> like Ralph was saying, you, uh, do you want me to do this, Sebastian? Sure. Maybe you can do it yeah. together. Oh, <laughs> do you have a mouthpiece, Sebastian? So yeah, like, we, we buzz our lips. Uh, I'll do that first without the mouthpiece. You just buzz your lips like that, and that's, Anyone can do that, but we do it in an obviously a controlled manner uh, to create specific pitches. So you do that, but you do it into a mouthpiece, which is small metal cup, essentially, that acts as an amplifier. And you put that into the trombone, and that's what creates your sound. Um, so, Sebastian, you want to play a little duet for our listeners? Oh, man. Yeah. Let's see if we can get the timing right. All right. Like let's play, let's play uh, Mosey on down to 9th Street. In B flat, keep the cymbal splashy, and let's take that bass line for a walk. Oh, so we're just making up a song. Okay. Beautiful. That was wow. <laughs> inspiring. That was an original composition by Sebastian and myself. Control save. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's good. I want to make that my ringtone for you guys. <laughs> oh god, I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it's interesting because like technically you're vibrating. If you want to get really technical, you're vibrating the air column within the horn. Mm -hmm. So people are thinking like there's all this air coming out of the, end of the bell, but no, you're really just vibrating. The instrument um and you know we get all technical with you know the type of mouthpiece we have and the type of equipment we have and the metals and mm -hmm. stuff but you know the basic shape is is the most important thing and you know a lot of people ask about how you know where the notes are with the slide if we want to get into that but like you know there's seven we call them positions so there's like seven main positions mm -hmm. where you just kind of memorize where the slide goes and within each position, you can play a series of notes on the harmonic series um, by buzzing your lips. So yeah, all that fun the harmonic stuff. series is a whole other level that we can get into more. But I do want to talk about the slide because that is what makes the trombone uh, unique. Although I, I mean, of course, the range in which it is pitched is sort of special too, and its role in music. But the slide. Uh, so I, I should I should admit that I also am not nearly on your level, but I am a trombone player. And I actually grew up in a trombone household. My father was a professional trombone player. And a, um, an amazing one. My yeah, it, yeah, I was very lucky to, to be exposed to some really great trombone playing early on. And one of the things that stands out to me 
um, having a lot of experience with good trombone playing as well as my own playing, which was not as good, is that the instrument is, for, for very beginners, very difficult to play in tune, right? But as you get to the expert level, I think that in many ways the trombone is the easiest instrument to play in tune. You have this very fine control over your intonation. Can you guys talk a little bit maybe about intonation, like what that even means and, and how that works on the trombone? Well, ooh, that's a uh, God. That's a lot to unpack, actually, because it's like, OK, how do you explain intonation? Um, I think the first place to start is that uh, we we play with something we play with a tuner, which uh, to, to, to test our intonation, which is a device that tells you how close to zero you are. If you imagine zeros in tune and then it goes by sense. C-E-N-T-S, of how uh, sharp or flat you are, how high or low you are to that relative pitch. So we tune to the relative pitch generally of A440, uh, an A, uh, A natural is 440 hertz, right? So that's what we're tuning to. That's our base. And so everything is based off of that series in intonation. And so you can look at a tuner, play a note, and it can be center or right or left telling you if you're high or low. And that is basic intonation, but in rea that's kind of generally how you learn how to use your ears and muscle memory with the slide to uh, tell you where the pitches are. But when you're playing an ensemble, you use your ears. So if you can imagine you have the same pitch, and you're, if you're a little out of tune, you're going to hear a discrepancy in sound. Right. So you want, then you would adjust to make, make those sounds sound as close together as possible. And that, that generally is truly what intonation is about, is making yourself sound in unison with, or in harmony, I guess, uh, with other musicians. And all these things just take a lot of re 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 uh, repetitive practice. Right. Um, I would say is, you know, it's God, it's hard to explain intonation when you're starting from like a, a like, yeah, base zero. No, totally. you know? I think it's one of the challenging things about studying music. Um, I've talked to some players who say they can almost feel when an ensemble pulls into tune, though. Do, do you guys experience that? Sure. Absolutely. There's there's this between if you have the same note, for example, like I was talking about, if they're out of tune with each other, you can hear a discrepancy, a, a, a Oh, like waves, sound waves. Right. You can hear it. Whoa, 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 whoa. That sort of feeling. And when you get closer, those waves get bigger. Wow, wow, wow. Like this, bigger and wider. And when you're in tune, you should hear no waves. I mean, if it's a unison. Right. If we get into harmonies where you have complex chord structures and stuff like that, obviously the wave structures are very, very different. But Sebastian, tell us about intonation. I want to hear your take on this. Well, I mean, when you're young, especially if you go hear like a, a sixth grade beginner band, you know, it's probably going to sound pretty out of tune. You know, when, when you're young, you're just trying to, you're trying to make the instrument work. Right. And, and it's fine. And I still remember the first time I played in a band and felt live harmony and playing with, I, I think it was Jurassic Park. We played Jurassic Classic. Park in sixth grade in the band. And I had goosebumps. Like the hair was standing up on my arms. It was the most surreal experience I'd never experienced before and I was instantly hooked and you know the older you get the more refined your ear gets hopefully and 
you know, it starts to bug you more when it's out of tune mm-hmm. because you know how freaking wonderful it is when it's in tune because it's just a special thing. And it's one of those things that a non-trained musician, they, they might not have the words to describe it, but they, they, they will like something that sounds in tune versus not in tune. They'll hear two different things and they'll be like, I like that one better because it, it, it's so deep within yourself. They won't know how to describe it maybe, but those are the things that good musicians are actively thinking about all the time because intonation is one of the most important things and it's it's so deep within us when something resonates with with something else, you know, and that's what makes music so special. It's like you're coming together to create this thing that's that's bigger than you and when you have like a full orchestra that's just like on the same page and special and, and playing in tune, it's just a magical thing. You, you know, to add to that, uh, one of the things I think is so special about art and I think music particular within art forms is the subjectivity of everything. Mm-hmm. Cause even like, even though the, there is a way to measure intonation, like I said, with a tuner, when we play in an ensemble, we're not playing with a tuner. We're playing with our ears and our eyes and our others, our, our eyes looking at music, not a tuner. I mean, and um, so in the end, even something as, objective as we can get in the music world as intonation there is a level of subjectivity to like how in tune something is Mm -hmm. or if it's properly tuned and like there's so many ways to break it down and that's also one of the exciting things i think about playing music is the subjectivity of everything for sure and uh you know speaking of subjective impressions of things the trombone itself has i think an interesting uh reputation trombone players have a a fun reputation, uh, but also there are, I think, maybe some misconceptions out there about what a trombone is and what it does. Like, how would you address some of those things? I mean, I, I'd be curious to hear your what you've experienced, Nick, too. Um, I guess the most common misconceptions have been, you know, first of all, a lot of people don't realize how beautiful the trombone can be and that we don't just play loud all the time. Um, that's typically what you might hear in, in certain context but it has a such a vocal quality um and it can be incredibly expressive um even you know beethoven would wrote wrote incredibly expressive things for the trombone and you know trombone typically has been used in a lot of comic situations especially having the slide Mm -hmm. like depicting clowns and and circus music you know but there's been a lot of you know there's been times in the in, in our history where a trombonist was one of the most famous musicians in the world you know we had you know, Tommy Dorsey and Glenn Miller, and they were like the number one pop artist going at the time. Um, and so there, there's a history and it's, I think it's, it's an instrument that among all the instruments, and of course I'm biased, but I think when you put a, what we call a trombone choir, when you put a lot of trombones together, I think it's one of the most unmatched, most beautiful sonorities um, you've ever heard. And some instruments don't sound that great when you put them all together like that. Like the oboe. <laughs> well, you know, to add on to that, you know, going going back in time, I mean, well, like like you said, Sebastian, the trombone has a reputation now of kind of being. Well, here's a good example: the the teacher in Charlie Brown, all that stuff. That's a trombone with a with a plunger mute. Actually, a lot a lot of people think of that as a trombone, or yeah, something silly, or someone falling down, something like that. But you go back in time to the romantic period of, of music and of art. And the trombone was considered 
a highly religious instrument, the the music of angels and also the music of death. The music. Oh, oh, thank you. That's my Charlie Brown mom. Whoa. Breaking up my serious talk. I love it. That's what I'm here for. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was the music of chant, chanting choirs of high religious prowess. And m- composers like Mendelssohn said that the trombone is far too important of an instrument to write for too often because he was a deeply spiritual man. So he felt it was only reserved for really religious music. He's such a fantastic composer. I really wish he would have written more for the trombone. But understanding his principle on the on the instrument itself, I can res- I respect that he thought so highly of it. Beethoven, when uh, commissioned by his, I think it was his g- grandmother, died, and his family asked him to write a piece of music. He wrote a piece for for uh, four trombones as the funeral music. So I mean, this is what these composers think of the instrument is it's very serious. So it's the exact opposite of now. And I don't want to be either. I want to be both. You know, I think that every instrument should have its levity and its seriousness. You know, just like all art should. It shouldn't all be doom and gloom because that's not, you know, that's not life itself. So it's nice. um, I think it's nice to kind of wear many hats as a musician. And that's one thing that's awesome about the trombone is also it's one of the few instruments that plays in almost every single ensemble you can think of, we play in orchestras, we play in bands, we play jazz music. You know, some of the most famous jazz musicians are trombonists. The violin, that's, a, no, they don't do that. Even though it's a fantastic instrument. The oboe, no way. Who wants to hear jazz oboe? Not me. Speak um, for yourself. <laughs> so, so anyhow, you know, I think that, it's one of the interesting things, and it's one of the things I've found through our trombone festival, the trombone retreat. Uh, we our, our students stay with host families here in the area, and most of them ha- have these similar sort of ideas about the trombone, about it being an instrument of silliness and loudness. Right. And the coolest thing is when we get a trombone choir of twenty some people, and they play a chorale by. Bach or uh, Brahms or Beethoven or Bruckner, um, and it starts very soft. You expect, first of all, even one trombone, you expect it to be so loud if you don't know anything about it. And then you have 20-something trombones. You're expecting it to be like you're going to be shot out of your seat, and then the first chord comes in, and it's a gentle piano. And and everyone who hears that, there's something, I think, visceral about that, that people have a reaction to it, like, whoa, you know, this power in numbers, and then it's gentle and quiet. It's like, whoa, what instrument can do that? I, I, I mean, obviously we're biased, but again, in the choir setting, that is what our instrument is meant to do, play in harmony with each other and um, create, create sounds together. And we have such a wide expressive range on our instrument. Man, I'm pumped up now. Yeah. Uh-huh. choir. <laughs> So, um, like all musicians uh, now, so we're recording this back in good old 2020, what a year, um, and things are pretty different in the music world during this whole uh, global pandemic. How, has that affected you guys? <laughs> I think that's a safe uh, yes. You know, obviously everyone is, has been affected in some ways. Um, the, the, the specific way it's affected our art form, of course, is, you know, when 
the majority of our art form is predicated on large gatherings and live performances. That's obviously something that's not happening right now. So, you know, we've, we've all experienced a lot of uh, concerts being canceled, seasons being changed, and we've kind of had to adapt. And, you know, some arts organizations are struggling right now trying to figure out what to do next. But, you know, we've adapted and we've, you know, for example, our, our retreat this past summer, we did it all online, which we had never done before. We're used to it being this like small thing with just 20 people and a bunch of guest artists. And this year we just like, why not? Let's open it up to the world for free. We had like over 500 people wow. like register and, and watch our online things. And it ended up being a cool experience and it's kind of forced most musicians to kind of learn technology, like learn all these things that we should have learned a while ago, but just kind of get a little more savvy with recording and live streaming and doing all these things. And it's been good for us overall, but you know, we're musicians. We're, we're, we love collaborating. We're meant to play with each other. So that part obviously has been tough at times and you know, we can't wait to get back and, but you know, we're all teaching online and, and, you know, trying to do live music lessons online can be (laughs) very tricky. I'll say to put it lightly, but you know, we're, we're all confident we're going to get through it. And, and if anything, we, we hope that it makes people appreciate our art form even more and appreciate, you know, what a privilege it is to hear live music and hear people that have been, you know, dedicating their lives to it and what a special experience that is. Well, I would say, you know, just to kind of add on to that, I was, you actually took the words out of my mouth a little bit about, um, one thing that was happening or is happening to our world is as as the world gets increasingly online besides corona before corona everything is available at your fingertips with the internet um our career and our livelihood and our passion is always under attack a little bit like well why does our city need an orchestra why does our city need a jazz club why does our city need this that and other well, I think right now that that's one of the silver linings, hopefully, of this is that it has been all online now. There there have been no opportunities to go hear live concerts. And what I think we're all collectively hoping for is like, well, ask and you shall, you shall receive. You now see what it's like to not have these things in your community and at your fingertips uh, in a different way to go out and see a concert. And hopefully people are running to running towards the the symphony halls and the performing arts spaces and the jazz clubs and all that after this is all said and done and we have a vaccine and all that jazz pun intended <laughs> that people are just so thirsty for live music and have a newfound appreciation for what we do as musicians and I'm not just saying trombone players music musicians in general whatever the genre may be right and I think that musicians in general are a special group of people as well as, you know, the impact music has on people's lives is, I don't know, I, don't, I feel like there's nothing else that really compares to it. You know, there, the other art forms are are beautiful and, and worth really exploring and getting into, but there's something special, especially about live music. What would you say to folks who are listening who might be interested in pursuing music? Like, is it worth it to study music? You know, maybe address, like, some folks may have aspirations to be professional, but is it worth it to study music at sort of an amateur level? Is it worth it to play music? And like, what impact does that have on people's lives? That, I mean, that's a really good question. And it's obviously very complicated now. Um, You know, we, we teach at the college level and you have a lot of people starting school that 
from varying degrees, like some people that have been studying their whole life, lessons their whole life, been playing in youth orchestras, have a clear vision of what they want to do, and some that just like, I really like playing in band, and I just want to, you know, keep playing, I'm pretty good. And really, it's, you know, what you tell someone like that is, you, you have to be very clear about, if they are interested in pursuing a career, you have to be very clear about the challenges, and you have to be very clear about, you know, you don't do something like this unless you can't imagine doing something Mm -hmm. else. You know, it's a very difficult profession to pursue. And, you know, you could go into all the statistics of people that are successful and then get even darker and talk about everything going on right now. But at the end of the day, we're just talking about studying music in general. It's one of the greatest things you can do. I mean, it's, it's proven that one of the only things that activates all areas of your brain at once is, is literally learning a musical instrument. Um, listening to music is one of the highest things, but you take it a step further and actually practicing a musical instrument highlights all of the areas of your brain. So I tell everyone that studies, even if you decide you don't want to do it the rest of your life, it's going to serve you the rest mm-hmm. of your life. And, and especially people that choose to do it at, on the amateur level. And one of my favorite things to you know talk about is a lot of people assume amateur just means you're not good. But you know, amateur comes from the root word, the Latin word amare, which means to love. It's about... Um, doing something you love because you love it. And often people that are amateur musicians end up being the happiest musicians mm-hmm. I know. And I, I encourage I encourage anyone to, if you have an instrument or you took piano lessons when you were young or anything like that, you know, there's so many resources available. There's people in your town that will teach you. It's just so good for you um, to do it. It's good for your soul. So I think, you know, we we're lucky we get to do this like every day. Um, but you don't have to be a professional playing at the highest level to to really enjoy it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I would say uh, that I'll address the amateur part of things uh, with a story. I had someone approach me. This is probably about five years ago in New York. A colleague of mine approached me and said, "Hey, this guy reached out to me and wants to study the trombone. I don't have time. Can you teach him?" And I said, "Sure." And so this guy gets in touch with me, and you know, I. I ask him where he's at with trombone, where he's at. And he goes, I've never played trombone. I can't read music. I've never played music, but I want to try it. And I was like, okay, well, all right, let's, let's try this out. Why the trombone? And he said, well, I'm an avid music fan. I listen to a lot of classical and jazz and I, I, I've always liked the trombone, but I never really thought about it. But then a couple months ago, I had this really vivid dream where I could fluently play the trombone in a, in like a jazz setting and I woke up and I called Sam Ash, which is a music store and uh, went and bought a trombone and he just wanted to learn it. And so he had in his mind, I mean, he was like playing jazz, like really. And then he tries the trombone (laughs) and it was, he was like, Oh my God, this is so hard. And you know, he, he ended up having, uh, having to put it on the back burner just because of his career but I've had a couple of amateur students that they've come to me and just said, I played trombone in high school. My job is stressing me out. My doctor says I need a stress relief and I just play, I'll play the trombone. I've had a couple like that, that it's for them. It's something that is focused, but they're putting no pressure on themselves. They just want something to kind of bury their energy into in a positive way. And they have so much fun. Each lesson, they're just like super excited to be there, having such a good time and, and um, giving themselves 
uh, good mental stimulation, like Sebastian was talking about. And I, I think that you can't, there's, there's, I mean, there are other things you could do, but like, there's very few that are, I think, as satisfying slash frustrating as playing a musical <laughs> instrument. <laughs> yeah, it definitely can be a little frustrating, especially when you're just, just learning. But I think it, I agree, it's totally worth it to do. It's something that is very enriching and uh, will serve you even if you're not doing it full time. Now, before we run out of time, I wanted to play a little bit of actual trombone music. Uh, Sebastian, you, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned that you have a clip that we can listen to. You want to set that up for us? Yeah, uh, this is a recording of a live performance of from a couple of summers ago of Stephen Verhelst's uh, trio for trombones with uh, it's Nick and I and our friend Brian Santero, who's the principal trombonist in the New York City Ballet. And it's uh, we're just going to play a selection from this piece called Fire Horse and the theme is, in general, about a horse. I think aren't the movements titled like trot and like gallop and whatever. But it's actually very cool music. It's a, a Dutch composer, I believe, and uh, he's written a lot of really cool um, sounding things. And it just gives you a nice idea of the sonority possibilities with a trombone. Thank you. 
Well, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Sebastian and Nick. Um, hey, thank you. So if people want to learn more about the retreat, about the podcast, again, where can they go? How can they, how can they dig deeper into the trombone universe? Well, uh, we try to keep it pretty simple. So basically, if you Google trombone retreat, so we're at trombone retreat on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, our website is tromboneretreat.com. The podcast is The Trombone Retreat. Anywhere you find your podcast, also a link on our website to get to it. Um, what am I forgetting, Nick? You're at JS, what, JS Vera. Oh, yeah. On Instagram, I'm at js.vera. On Twitter, I'm at Sebastian Vera. Nick is at basstrombone444 on Instagram. Yep. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking time to come and talk to me today. I love the stuff you make. I love the stuff you play. I love the instrument, and I love talking to both of you. Thanks for having us on, Ralph. Yeah, it was fun. We love the stuff you make, too. Oh shucks. Yes. <laughs> oh shucks. Isn't that something? Huge thanks again to Nick and Sebastian for coming on the show today. I had a blast talking with them. I really recommend their podcast, even if you're not a trombone player or a musician. The stories of some of their guests are truly inspiring, often really funny, and uh, something that I think can resonate with anybody. Uh, so definitely check out the Trombone Retreat podcast when you get a chance. Uh, also, speaking of podcasts, if you enjoyed this one, please rate it, subscribe, share, all that other stuff. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. This concludes today's episode of Isn't That Something?